We were trying to maintain, uh, you know, that uh, 60 minute focus in, in our game. I thought maybe at the beginning of the third, after that power play, we seemed to get a little bit sloppy. And uh, of course, they they tied the game up. But, uh, you know, I think everybody was on the same page tonight as far as, you know, don't hang your heads. Uh, let's go out there. Let's get the next goal and uh, let's find a way to win this game. And, uh, you know, so uh, determination was, was a lot better tonight. And, uh, and positive, uh, I guess, thoughts more than uh, hanging our heads and say, here we go again. Claude, pretty pleased with last night's result. It was a uh, pretty much a complete 60-minute uh, game for the uh, Bruins last night. Ordway, Holly, Mikey Adams back here on the big show, and our buddy Jack Edwards from Nesson, who was pretty excited last night, joins <laughs> us live on the, uh, on the phone line. Was that more of what you expected? Yeah, that was more like it. That was a really impressive performance by the Bruins, the kind of professional uh, game you expect from them. And one would hope that there are about uh, 50 more of those coming, uh, if, if not more than that, because uh, that's the way that they focus, uh, rolling line after line, getting contributions from all the way up and down the lineup. I mean, 13 guys had points. They only dress 18 skaters. That's all, pretty good. All four lines. You know, yeah. it, it's easy to say now after the game, oh, yeah, I knew they had it in them, or that was a pretty good game when they, they put up five goals. But I was listening to you after the first intermission, they're down two to one, and you still were uh, were were very encouraged by what you had seen uh, in that in those first twenty minutes. What was it that stood out to you that uh, let you know that maybe the next forty minutes we're going to uh, produce something special? Well, it's something that Brick alluded to uh, earlier in the telecast, and it's that they were just sick of losing, and you had to get to a certain point. You would think that that every professional athlete is sick of losing after one loss, and that's probably true to a certain extent, but it has to be a group thing, and you don't see it show up until you see the kind of uh, relentless determination that we saw from the Bruins. Uh, they took over the game for long stretches, and they did it with that kind of determined, grim effort that you love to see in a team when, uh, when you get into the playoffs. And, and I'm not saying they played with playoff intensity or playoff execution last night, but it was a lot closer to that than what we're used to seeing uh, in the early part of this season. They, they looked a lot sharper, a lot more determined up and down. The last time we talked to you about this, Jack, you were in studio. Uh, almost a week has passed, and I, I'm still not sure what to think of this story. Joe McDonald had the story on ESPNBoston.com. Tyler Sagan has a congenital hip condition. Sagan is asked about it. He seemed to bristle at, at, the, at the suggestion that he's more susceptible to injuries. What's the truth? Is it truth that this is much ado about nothing? Is it something that he should be concerned about, but he's not going to come out and say, yes, I'm concerned? What do you gather from the, from the information that, that you've heard? Okay, now, uh, obviously everybody who's around the Bruins and is near this story is digging at it and, and poking and prodding. But let me first issue this disclaimer. I haven't spoken to anybody uh, who is a doctor, a physician, or a trainer who would go on the record about this about Sagan's physical condition. So I am basing this purely on uh, around-the-perimeter speculation. Uh, and by the way, I, I would think that other than a source that told Joe McDonald that, uh, uh, that Tyler Sagan had that uh, congenital uh, situation that uh, he's referring to, um, that uh, he hasn't either. Um, because I haven't seen any doctor put his name on the record except the guy who hasn't seen Sagan. Um, I think that a lot of players have conditions, and I think they find out about them. It's, if you'll allow me to digress a little bit, uh, it's sort of like environmental testing. 
Uh, we didn't know about a lot of stuff that wouldn't kill you back in the 1960s and 1970s. We know about a whole heck of a lot of stuff that might possibly kill you now because the quality of diagnosis, whether it's in the environment or in the human body, is so much farther along than it was then. Well, now we know all kinds of stuff that could possibly go wrong given the right set of circumstances. So you want to do whatever you can to prevent those kinds of things. You want to do whatever you can to avoid those circumstances. If you live in the Sun Belt, you make it a habit to wear sunscreen every single day now. Maybe you didn't do that in the 70s, okay? It's, that's kind of the situation that I, that I liken it to. And I, I, I really think that if this were a serious situation with Tyler Sagan, that you would see that Tyler Sagan would be uh, doing certain things that would be taking it easier on his hips, doing less wear and tear. And darn it, the guy's just like his rookie year. He's the last kid off the ice every single day. He loves to work, and nobody in the organization, which has millions and millions invested in him, is telling him to back off in any way. I think that actions speak a lot louder than rumors and words here. I was shocked that there wasn't a sense of urgency Saturday night in uh, in Montreal. Matter of fact, I, I thought that was the worst effort I've seen to this point. There was a sense of urgency last night. Uh, there have been a lot of rumors out there that Peter Shirelli had been on the phones, possible they would make uh, a, a move. You talked about this last week when you were in studio last week. How much do you think that might have played in to the fact that these guys do like each other an awful lot and they suddenly felt, uh-oh, if we don't get our bleep together pretty quickly here, uh, they could break up the band? Quite frankly, Glenn, I was surprised that three days went by and that there wasn't a transaction. Uh, at my home in Connecticut, uh, in fact, 95, actually 99% of the town is still without power today. Um, and I was in a complete media blackout for, uh, after I got off the plane uh, from Montreal Saturday night until uh, mid-afternoon on Monday um, when they restored some cell phone service. Um, and I, I, the first thing I asked when I called into Nesson was, have the Bruins conducted a transaction? Has somebody been moved? I was surprised that they hadn't. Um, maybe these players felt that they got away with one and that they got one extra chance before the team that they loved so much was broken up. Uh, that said, they ought to know that if they lay an egg in Toronto on Saturday night, that uh, they're right back under the guillotine. And they ought to be, because this season is way salvageable. But if they continue to get underperforming efforts, if they continue uh, to get situations where uh, they're letting other teams win because they're not grinding it for 60 minutes, then there ought to be a shakeup. As I said to Glenn yesterday, 10 games. Now I can say 11 games. 11 games. You say there ought to be. I say wait until 20 games, until you're a quarter uh, a quarter way through the season before you make any dramatic moves. Well, they now, keep on saying and, Thanksgiving. Jack talked and, about and, this last week. And Jack, yeah. it, That's it, 19 it, games in. And it sounds like you disagree. Who who would be that guy and for what purpose? If you, if you make a move, who are you going to move and why are you doing it? Well, you have to look at who's available. And you have to look at... at the Bruins roster right now, um, well, let's just take it line by line, okay? Uh, the first line, Krejci centers Lucic and Horton. Uh, Horton's going to be an unrestricted free agent after next season, so after 2013. So he's got a year plus left on his contract. David Krejci's going to be a restricted free agent at the end of this year. Everybody thinks he's going to get a bump from $3.75 million to somewhere in the $5 million range. So, you know, there are two players off of that line who – could be movable, although Krejci, any team that absorbs him, is going to have to say, okay, we're looking at five plus. Lucic will be a restricted free agent in 2013. 
um, that gives the team still a tremendous amount of leverage on him. Um, the, uh, the next line, the Bergeron line, uh, Sagan restricted in 13. Team has a lot of leverage. Bergeron is with the team uh, through 14. Marshawn restricted in 13. And then as you work your way down the lineup, you got uh, Kelly Pye, Campbell, Thornton among the bottom six forwards who dressed last night who are all going to be unrestricted at the end of this year. Boychuk and Corvo unrestricted at the end of this year among the free agents. Those are, those are the guys that would be the most easily moved. You have to have a buyer. You have to have somebody who has a need. And you also have to identify, if you're Peter Shirelli, what your need is. So, you know, in the, in the whole sliding scale of things, and granted, the Bruins do have about $7 million total of cap space for this particular season if they play it one at a time, if they use Savard's um, salary as uh, long-term injury reserve, which is a formality. They could do that very easily. So they could absorb virtually any salary in the league if they moved one of these guys. Um, so they, the Bruins have a lot of flexibility, but you have to have a buyer. You have to have somebody who wants one of those types of guys, and, and uh, you have to be able to talk. I was going to ask you about the Savard, because they have, what, $3 million and then – he four. could he could retire or four million and then he could retire. Is that how it works? No, it's uh, four four point double oh seven. Strangely enough, is his cap hit. Okay. Um, and uh, and yeah, and the Bruins have an additional three million. Uh, they have three million under the cap, regardless. Right now, um, Peter Shirelli's holding that in reserve because strategically it's a good thing to have for uh, any number of reasons. Also, he thinks the cap's going to go down next year. Uh, if you so choose, you can put a, a player who is injured on long-term injury reserve, uh, which means you can exceed the cap by that amount of salary. So if the cap this year is, let's say, $62.3 million and Savard's cap hit is exactly four, you could go to $66.3 million uh, on, your, uh, on your salary cap um, because you use that injured player's money as, uh, as reserve money. Um, if Savard says he's retired, he does not get paid. So he's never going to say that. Once a year, he's going to be examined by a Bruins team physician who's going to declare him unfit to play. And uh, he will continue to collect his salary uh, through the end of his deal, which I believe has six years to run, including this year. So you feeling good now, Jack? You all right? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling fine. Actually, you know, I think this storm was analogous to the um, – uh, to the way the Bruins were going, uh, you know, is is an unexpected setback. And we had about, I told my kids, well, the good news is we, we won't have to buy wood for four years because we got about six cords of wood down in our yard. And there was 15 inches of slush in the driveway. But I, I said to them, you know what, this is the hard part. Grab a shovel, let's go. And, and we got rid of the, the slush and, uh, and we dug out and things were a lot better than uh, than they were, but we got a long way to go. And that's kind of the way it is with the Bruins. This is the hard part. You know, the storm hit a lot sooner than they thought it was going to hit, and now they just got to dig their ways out. I love this, comparing the weather. I like right? that. You, you got, weather. I think the this might, the, this might find its way on air at oh. some point when they, uh, like when they get back to the, one of those uh, top six or top four spots. <laughs> uh, who, who do you think right now uh, is, the, is the class of the league? I'm not talking about class of the league after the first 10 or 11 games, and it's a little bit of a fluke. I'm talking about somebody you look at, you like the way their team is constructed, and you say that's a team that's going to give people hell in May and June. Uh, coming into this season, I thought it was San Jose. I still like San Jose a lot, uh, but right now uh, Pittsburgh and Washington are both pretty scary. Washington last night, Bruce Boudreaux 
years, let's say $62.3 million. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux, I'm sorry, I just got a little interference on the phone here. Okay, uh, we heard it too. Yeah. <laughs> you sound uh, like you were, uh, it was something from the Matrix or something. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Uh, Bruce Boudreaux, in a, a hallmark moment, actually kept Alex Ovechkin off the ice in the final minute last night, and uh, Washington tied the game and then came back to win it in overtime. If he has enough guns uh, to, uh, to win a game while Ovechkin's on the pine, uh, that's pretty scary. And uh, I think you've got to look at the Caps as a team that, that probably is going to take a serious run this year. Um, I still like San Jose a lot. And, and Pittsburgh... Is playing such excellent, excellent team hockey, and Sidney Crosby hasn't even dressed for a game yet. So, those three teams right now look like the class of the league to me. Why is it that you brought this up last week, and everybody else seems to talk about it? They either use the Thanksgiving date or December first. That if you're not in the top eight, you're in trouble. Why is it that in the NHL, if you're not in the top eight in the first two months of the season, you have trouble making it into the top eight? Quite simply, it's the three-point games. It's because when you win a game, you get two points. But if the two teams you're chasing um, go into overtime or a shootout, one of them gets one point for losing. And it is really, really hard to continue to make up ground. That's a great The point. schedule beats every team up. Every team gets compromised because of the schedule. There is so much travel. There are so many games in so few days. And it's impossible for teams to have a top-notch effort every single game by the way, this is one of the reasons that Claude Julien believes in getting his four lines as much work as he possibly can, and it's also the importance of scoring the first goal because you're able to do that, and you spread the load out. But because of the scheduling and because of the three-point games, it is murderous to get traction uh, when you're trying to make up ground. Look at what New Jersey did in the second half of the season last year. Yeah. That was as good a half a season as we've seen in a long, long time, and the Devils still came up short because they buried themselves in the first four weeks. Yeah, the, the three-point game makes all the sense in the world. It, uh, it does because you, you see it in other leagues. You see it certainly in the NBA where teams will get off to slow starts, even good teams, and then they'll reel off, you know, 13 in a row, 14 in a row. But they're, they're all, you know, one-game games. that uh, You can't do that in the NHL. It's a very good point. Yeah, you know, a lot of people want to see the NHL go to a three points for a regulation or overtime win and uh, then split the three points for a shootout win. And personally, I favor that because if you decide the game in terms of a hockey game, in terms of a real hockey play, there ought to be some kind of benefit to that as opposed to winning by gimmick. And I still think the shootout's a gimmick. I know it's an entertaining one. Nobody leaves the building till it's over, yep. but it's still a gimmick. Uh, good luck with the uh, the trees and the power, and we'll uh, we'll catch you in here real soon in studio. <laughs> I'm a mean guy with a chainsaw, so stay on my good side. You know what? If you've got one of those masks on with one of those chainsaws, I think I'd be a little scared. You, of you, you know what? That's yeah. a good a good question. Before we let you go, uh, what were you for Halloween, or or uh, some people in the house or neighborhood? Give me some interesting uh, Halloween costumes. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm I'm just going to be a slasher. They they postponed Halloween in our town for ten days. They're going to have it on the tenth of November because everybody's a softy and they don't want the kids to skip it. But it's kind of a good lesson, you know. Hey, kids, it's a party. Put things in perspective. We're lucky that nobody died. You know, it's really that simple. All right, Jack, we'll see you here soon. Could, yeah, Jack, you got to do that laugh when they come to your door. <laughs> <laughs> do your laugh. Uh, <laughs> there it is. Jack, talk to you soon. Jack Edwards right here on The Big Show.